as a church, we've got five core values, and they're this, under authority, default to prayer, interdependence, integrated faith, and the joy of salvation. And of all those values, I think our most countercultural one is under authority. Here's how we describe it. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, not culture, led by Jesus through his word, spirit, and church. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, not culture. We're led by Jesus through his word, spirit, and church. And week after week, one of the ways we put this value on display and in action is by preaching through the word, by coming under its inspiration and its authority and its instruction. But another way that we embody this value corporately as a church is by coming under the instruction and care of our bishops. Uh, Once a year, there's an annual meeting for clergy across Canada and for people from different churches to come together at what we call synod. And at that meeting, our bishop, Charlie Masters, has a charge. And this year, he called his charge for the sake of the harvest. And it was based on Matthew 9, 35 through 38, which we just read. And so one of the ways we come under authority is by saying, Bishop Charlie's charge is our charge. What Charlie has envisioned for us and churches across Canada is what we envision for us in this place at this time. And so our leadership team at St. Pete's got together and we discussed and studied and prayed through Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38. And three words struck us, presence, compassion, and prayer. Presence, compassion, and prayer. And we want to know what does it mean for St. Peter's Fireside to be a place of presence, compassion and prayer in 2019, and not just in 2019, but in the very core of who we are moving forward into the future always. And so that's what I want to consider this morning. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew 9. We're going to read this passage one more time. It'll also be on the screen behind me. We read in the gospel. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's begin with presence. We read in verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And this summarizes everything Jesus has been up to in the past two chapters of Matthew's gospel. Jesus has been intentionally traveling around to places like the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, uh, Nazareth. He even went into controversial areas like the region of the Gerasenes, a Gentile territory. And although Jesus was intentional about where he was going, he was intentional what he was doing. He was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing. When he arrived and he was present at each place, the need emerged. The need came to him. In chapter 8, we're told a leper came to him. And then a centurion came to him. A demon-possessed man came to him. As chapter 9 begins, people bring him a paralytic. A ruler came to him. A woman suffering from a long-term illness came to him. Two blind men came to him. A demon-oppressed man who was mute came to him. You see, Jesus was intentionally present in each and every single one of these places. He was intentional about proclaiming the gospel and healing people, but the the, the needs emerged. The need, more often than not, comes to him. He doesn't have to seek it out. Why is it important for us to see this? 
It's easy to forget that Jesus has a, a small band of followers, a group of disciples following him around and observing everything he's teaching and everything he's doing. And in the ancient world, as a Jew, when you're following a rabbi, you're doing it with the thought and the knowledge that everything your rabbi does, you one day will do too. And Jesus knows this. And so as he goes throughout the region, as he goes teaching and proclaiming and healing, as he's present and as he allows needs to emerge and care for those needs, he is modeling to the disciples how he intends them to pursue the gospel. How he intends them to go out and be present in their places. And we see this deeply shapes their future ministry. If we look at the book of Acts, this is exactly what the apostles go on to do. They go out into the world, into different places, and they're present, and needs emerge, and then they proclaim and bring the gospel to those needs as they come to them. You see, we too, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, are invited to follow him in this practice. We're invited to be intentionally present in our city, intentionally present in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work, in our homes, in our walks, in every moment of our lives is an opportunity for us to be intentionally present to the reality that God is with us and God is at work in us and God is at work in and around us and wants to work through us for the sake of this world. And as we're intentional and as we are present, needs will emerge. As you're intentional and present to what Christ is doing Needs will emerge in your life. I want to give you an example. A few years ago, we were running Alpha, which is a course to explore faith, at the Granville Room, which is a cocktail bar on Granville Street. And it was the third week of Alpha, and our team was excited. We had 15 committed guests in those first weeks. And week three hits, and it's like heavy downpour, 90 per hour winds, and a Canucks game on, and none of our guests show up. And I'm feeling discouraged and frustrated and wondering why we're putting all this energy into Alpha when no one could be bothered to show up again. And as I was fretting about in my mind, I remembered the parable of the great banquet in which Jesus says, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. We were intentionally running Alpha. That was our intention. We wanted to be present to what God might do in our midst running Alpha. And so I decided to take this passage literally. I went outside in the rain, the pouring rain and wind, and you might think, oh, he's a preacher. He'd be totally comfortable doing some street evangelism. No! <laughs> and I went out onto Granville Street, and every single person passing by, I said, would you like a free meal? One in 30 people stopped. And if they stopped, I said, okay, here's the catch. I'll be straight up with you. You're going to have to watch a film about Jesus and tell us what you like or don't like about it. And if you have a good time tonight, we're here every Tuesday and you'd be welcome to come back. Well, after a half hour of doing that, the room was filled with 60 guests and we were excited. And many of those people actually came back week after week after week. But that's not where the story stops. This is where it gets interesting. Three homeless people came up to me and they said, can we come in and get a free meal? And suddenly I felt uncomfortable. I said, yes. But I was worried, well, how, how would the manager of the Granville Room feel about us bringing homeless people into their establishment? How would the other guests who we don't know at all feel about these people? How will our team feel about these people? But I decided, you know what? Jesus says to go and invite everyone in who will come. And so, yeah, come on in. We'll get you set up here. Put them with someone we trust. Talk to management. Make sure they have food. Well, they too went through the entire Alpha course. 
And what's amazing is they actually joined us on the Alpha weekend away. They went on a retreat to Galliano with us, and they even started routinely coming to St. Peter's Fireside on Sundays uh, until two of them moved back to Toronto. And as I got to know this trio more over the weeks and the months, I asked them as it got colder, because we're getting into December, what can we do for your homeless friends? How can we help you best? And they, they were very practical. They said gloves, socks, and good sleeping bags. And if you've been here a while at St. Pete's, you might remember that we had Operation Warmth one year. And on one Sunday, we asked our church to give, and everything we received, we put towards that. And so we received $3,400, which allowed us to buy 50 uh, sub-zero sleeping bags and innumerable socks and gloves. But then, rather than us distribute it, I partnered with this, this trio, and they went out to their friends and gave them the socks and the gloves and the sleeping bags. But this isn't where the story stops. Two of these friends had been on the street a long time, and they weren't too keen on getting off the street. This, is, this was their life. This is what they knew. But one of them had only been on the street a month. And he, came, he pulled me aside one Sunday and he said, I don't, I don't want this. This is not what I envisioned for my life. And he told me a story. He had just gotten behind on a few bills. He couldn't pay rent. He lost his job. And there he was on the street. And I said, well, what can we do for you? How can we help? And he said, all I need is a pair of red tag construction worker boots. And I'll go get a job tomorrow. And I just need an address I can put on the application. And so I, I said, let's go right now. And so we went and we bought boots. And the next day he was in line and, and I was just going to let him use the St. Pete's office because I figured that'd be fine. But then a member from our community said, no, I have a room in my place. He can come and live with me until he's settled. And so a member of our community opened up his home and this person lived with him for six months. He has been working steadily ever since. He's living on his own now. He's held down his job. He's yet to follow Jesus, but he cannot deny that followers of Jesus had compassion on him and loved him and met his needs materially. So why do I bring all of this up? I do so reluctantly, and it's certainly not to pat myself on the back. The last thing I want is for you to leave this room and think, wow, think of that cool thing Alistair did. No, Jesus did an incredible thing in and through us, and it involved so many more people than just me. I just got to be a part of it. I bring this up to show you one of many and infinite ways that Jesus is willing to work through us when we're intentional and present and we come to him with open hands. And he, Jesus can work with that. He invites us to be present in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our schools, in our whole lives, and to allow him to bring needs to us so that we can minister to those needs. And the needs will emerge. And even if we forget to be intentional and present, Jesus will bring the needs to us. When we, when we ran Alpha, we didn't think any of this would happen. This wasn't our intent. We just wanted to be at work. And then God worked in a surprising way. What looked like failure one week became our greatest opportunity to serve the needs just outside the door. And so if you're thinking right now, I could never do that. You're right. You probably couldn't. But Jesus could do that through you. I didn't want to do that. Jesus did it through me. And even if you'd never do anything like I just described, Jesus wants to work in and through you. He can use you as you are, not as you will be. He can use who he's made you to be in this moment, how he's equipped you, and in the places you already are. You can be used in your everyday life for God's glory. It might be as simple for many of us 
as once a week opening up one of our lunches to intentionally grab a lunch with a coworker we don't know too well, or with a coworker we know who's going through a hard time. But creating that space to expand our circle of influence, to expand our circle of friends so that we can see needs emerge and be present to those needs. It might be intentional about building more relationships for those who are yet to know Jesus. Maybe you open up a dinner a month. Maybe you join a rec recreational league or you join a meetup with people who have similar phase of life or interest of you, whatever it may be, but create that space and that time. There's this amazing story in our community of lawyers doing this exact thing, creating space for other lawyers to come and talk about Jesus and also creating space for that circle to expand. And this is why we have the outwards rhythm in our community groups. Once a month, our community groups partner with local organizations to serve. But the goal in that is that it would be more than once a month. It isn't at the moment, if we're honest. But the goal in that is that we would be intentionally present and allow needs to merge and ask Jesus, how, can, how do you want to use us here? What are the opportunities you're bringing to us? And Jesus is eager to answer that prayer. Because when we say, Lord, how do you want to use me? How can I be like you? That's what the prayer actually is. We're saying, Lord, make us more like you. Make us like you, the Lord who is present to the needs of people. And if we want to become intentionally present, then it means also sharing in Christ's compassion. Presence, compassion, prayer. Let's talk about compassion. We read in verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that an amazing verse? We get to look into the very heart of Christ. We get to see into God's heart why Jesus did what he did, why he came into the world at all, why he went around through all these different regions preaching and healing, because he has compassion. He had compassion. That's why he went to all these needs. Compassion literally means to suffer together, and I can't think of a better word to summarize the ministry of Christ than that. He who bore the suffering of the world in his own body. And so if we're going to become like Christ, if we're going to be people who are present, it means sharing in his compassion. And there's a difference. There's a difference between sharing in his compassion and being compassionate. I rarely meet someone who doesn't see compassion as a nice virtue and emotion to explore. I mean, some people could care less, but most of us think, yeah, I would, I'd like to be more compassionate. That seems like a good thing. But are we willing to take on Christ's compassion? In other words, take on his view of humanity, his anthropology. Will we learn to compassionately see people as helpless and harassed sheep without a shepherd. That's why he has compassion. He has compassion because he looks out on the crowds. He looks out on humanity and he says, the need is so great. People are harassed. They're helpless. They're without me. They're hurting. His compassion is connected always to how he sees us. And this is not generally how we see people, is it? I once heard someone define the gospel this way. The gospel is helping nice Canadians become nicer. And that is an abomination and a long way off from the truth of the gospel. No matter how we may appear, how competent, uh, how polite, how kind, however involved in humanitarian efforts without Christ, 
We are harassed and helpless. We are sheep without a shepherd. We just went through these basics in our last sermon series outside of Christ. It doesn't matter how good and how moral you may be, you're dead. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. You're alienated and separated from God. You're without the shepherd. And so Christ, though, shows us that God does not frown upon us in our separation and alienation from God. Christ shows us that God does not look down upon us, but rather God comes down to us and meets us with compassion because he is the great shepherd who wants to gather his sheep to himself. He has compassion for us. And so he comes to meet our needs and he meets our deepest need by becoming the bread of life. That all who would come to him might find salvation and be healed and made whole and reconciled to God. And if we look at these past two chapters in Matthew's gospel, we will see just how deep and wide Christ's compassion really is. Jesus shows compassion to a leper, not just by healing him, by touching him. That would probably be the first time that person was touched in years. Jesus shows compassion to a Gentile centurion, the enemy, Roman occupation, a mother-in-law, A demon-possessed Gentile. A tax collector. A betrayer, right? A ruler of a city. A Pharisee. The religious elite. Sinners, men and women. You see, Jesus approaches people with power and no power. People near and far from God. Men, women and children. And he treats them all as in equal need of his compassion. He shows us the ground is always level at the foot of the cross. And that's the good news is that Christ has compassion for each and every single one of us. He is the good shepherd who has come into the world to bring his children back to himself. And throughout the Gospels, whenever compassion is mentioned, whenever Christ's compassion is mentioned, a seminary professor taught me this and I'm grateful for it. Watch out. Watch out. Get ready because he's about to do something big. When it's explicitly said Christ felt compassion, people are healed. He takes just a few loaves and feeds thousands even raises the dead. And here, Christ's compassion is mentioned. And so we should watch out. What's he going to do? But it's so different. He doesn't heal. He doesn't multiply loaves. He doesn't raise the dead. Instead, he turns to his disciples and he tells them, pray. Really? Is the action of his disciples praying as significant and as important and as essential as all the times Christ healed and performed miracles and even raised people from the dead, his compassion leads him to tell us to pray. Presence, compassion, prayer. Let's talk about prayer. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When Jesus speaks of the harvest, it's a way of speaking of the entire world. And for the disciples in that moment, this would be vivid for them. They would have places in mind that they'd just been, smells and sights that they've just seen and smelled, uh, people that they've met and the needs they've seen brought to them and healed. And so they think of the harvest and they know firsthand just how big the need is, just how great the need is. But then Jesus acknowledges the laborers are few. Because up until this point in the gospel, he is the only laborer. Then he issues the one command, the one 
instruction, the one action of this entire passage, the only thing that we're meant to hear as what do I do in light of this? Pray earnestly. And the Greek is much more simpler. Ask. Ask that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest, into the world, to bring the good news of the gospel into every area of human need. And this asking is intimately connected to compassion, which is why I think the ESV translates it as pray earnestly. If you don't see the crowds, if you don't see the harvest, if you don't see the overwhelming need of humanity, your prayers in this regard will always be weak and they will likely wane. What need is there to pray earnestly for laborers if you don't see the need of of the harvest as urgent and dire and important? See, the harvest is plentiful. The opportunities abound. There is enormous need. And so we're called to pray earnestly and to ask God, send people out to proclaim this good news in all areas, in all places, in every form of human need. What a mystery. What a mystery. The very next chapter, the very next passage, after Jesus says, pray for the Lord to send out laborers, he calls the disciples to himself and he says, you're going to go out now. They haven't even had a chance to pray and they're already being sent out. Jesus takes ordinary people and he says, you can go out with this good news under my authority and you can go out into the different villages and towns and you can proclaim the gospel and you can heal and you can do everything that I've done because that's what I've been modeling for you. And you can do it by the power of my spirit at work in you. But what a mystery that the God of the universe invites us to participate in what he's doing in the world. God could tear back the clouds at any moment and reveal himself. But instead, he takes ordinary people and he allows his glory to shine through broken vessels who go out into the world and meet human need with the power of the gospel. But I want to take note about the harvest, the nature of the harvest. You see, it's easy to get triumphalistic here. With Jesus, we can go out and do whatever we want. Jesus warns his disciples in chapter 10, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. He warns them, you're going to face slander. You're going to be arrested. You're going to have beatings. You're even going to be imprisoned. He warns them, the gospel at times will even divide family. But don't worry, because your father is with you and he cares for you. And they had heard him teach in the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are you, who are ridiculed and abused for the sake of the gospel, for yours is the kingdom of God. But the truth about the harvest, the truth about the cities they went out to, the truth about the city we're in, is that when we go out on behalf of Christ, there is great need. And it can be difficult. And often it will involve rejection. You can't avoid the rejection. And I think this is in part why we are instructed to ask and pray that the Lord would send people out. Because if he does not call us, and if he doesn't send us out, we don't stand a chance. We'll be overwhelmed by the need. We'll have compassion fatigue before we know it. We'll be overcome by the difficulty and crushed by the ongoing rejection. We'll be too afraid to speak up. We'll withdraw if we go out in our own strength. We'll withdraw and just keep the status quo of living for ourselves and living the best life now. That's what we're going to do. But here's what we must not overlook. We're praying to the Lord of the harvest. We're praying to the Lord of the harvest. 
And he's already gone out into the harvest. He's already prepared the way for us. And he promises us that he'll be with us to the ends of the earth. Here's the good news about when you start trying to become more intentional about the places you're already living, where you try to be present to what God is doing. God is already at work. You never bring Christ anywhere he He's already everywhere. He promises to meet us at the ends of the earth. He's already there. He's already at work. He's already preparing the harvest. We simply have to go and intentionally say, Lord, what are you doing in this place? And as we're intentional, we can have confidence. Because it doesn't depend on us. The need is greater than us, but it is not greater than Christ, and it is not greater than his spirit who is at work in us for the sake of the harvest. And so when Jesus says, pray, I want you to see that prayer is as important and as dramatic as healings and physical manifestations of power and even raising the dead. When he says pray, he's not calling us to inaction, but to true action. When he says pray, he's calling us to dwell in the presence of God, to speak with God, and to ask God to send people out in the power of the Spirit so that we can be effective laborers for his harvest, the harvest he has great compassion for. And so as we look at 2019, as we look at the year to come, as we look to the future, first off, I acknowledge, like, we're really bad fortune tellers in this room. God knows what the future has. We don't. But... We're called to steward what we have well, and we're called to shepherd the flock. And so we hope to see more presence, compassion, and prayer in our community. We want to see our community become corporately and individually more present to the needs of our city. That came out in our survey a lot. We'd like to see more renewal of our city, especially in regards to the poor. And so this year, we're going to pray and discern, Lord, how can we serve our city more? But we're not just going to pray. We're going to allow that prayer to lead to action. We will attempt to be the answer to these prayers. And we're going to ask Jesus to help us cultivate more compassion toward our city. To see the world as he sees it. And this happens in a few ways. It happens by submitting to the word time and time again. By learning to see the way scripture sees rather than trying to force scripture into our sight of the world. It happens by being present to the need around us. By being exposed to people's needs that you can't fix, and so you have to pray. And it happens as we hear stories about Christ at work in us and around us. And so we're going to try to do a better job at telling those stories in this year so that our compassion might be kindled as we hear of Christ's great compassion at work in our midst. And in regard to both presence and compassion, I want to invite all of you to pray a prayer that you probably don't want to pray, but I'm going to ask you to pray it. Would you consider staying in Vancouver rather than leaving? Some of you are going to be called away, and that is great, and we'll send you, and I'll cry about it, but we will pray over you, and it'll be good. Some of you are going to be called away, but some of you might be called to stay, and that is a hard call sometimes because the city is costly. But sometimes we leave before we really have gotten the Lord's heart on what he has for us. So would some of you consider staying rather than going? Would you pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him, is this the field? Is this the harvest that you want me to labor in? Finally, we're going to commit to deepening our culture of prayer. As I said, one of our core values as a church is default to prayer. We've started weekly Wednesday prayer for that reason. We're going to have other opportunities to pray, but we're going to be praying this year. Lord, help us discern how you want us to be present as a church to the needs of Vancouver. 
Show us one or two specific things that our church can seek the renewal of this city in. Lead us and guide us and empower us to do that. We're going to be praying for compassion. Lord, fill us with compassion. Grant us your eyes to see the world as it truly is, not as we want it to be. But we're also going to be praying, send out laborers. And in praying that prayer, I hope that we can capture the spirit of the prophet Isaiah, who said, here I am, send me. So if we pray, Lord, send out laborers, we're not saying send out more pastors, send out more missionaries, send out more church staff. We're saying, Lord, take all of your followers and send them out into the harvest Help them see their unique role, their unique work, their unique gifting, their unique temperament. Help them see all of their lives as beautiful before you and opportunities to proclaim your goodness to people that say, I could never reach or Preston could never reach or someone else could never reach, but they can reach. So if we're going to pray, Lord, send out laborers, may we also say, here I am, send me. And that's what our leadership team is saying. Lord, here's St. Peter's fireside, send us.